You're listening to your Dental Top 5 podcast with Amanda Hill, informing you on the top trends in dentistry every Thursday. Brought to you by the creators of A Tale of Two Hygienists podcast. And now, here's your host, Amanda Hill. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Your Dental Top 5, where we take trending topics in dentistry and break them down into five usable highlights that you can take back to your op, your life, just look smarter at your next dinner party. I'm your host, Amanda Hill. So today's episode, I think, is a really fun one. And if you're a seasoned hygienist like me, I've been around for, you know, 25 years. You know, it's hard to think all the way back to school. But I think if you start to think about it and you think about what it felt like that first day in the office, you know, in your private practice office, out of school, and how much stuff you didn't and how overwhelming that was. And so I really wanted to do an episode on the top five things you don't learn in hygiene school. And so to tell us about those top five things, I've brought on Beth Shaw, RDH, who is a relatively new grad to tell us about the top five things that she didn't learn in hygiene school. So Beth, thanks so much for coming on today. Hey, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be a guest of yours. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this with you guys. Well, I'm super excited to have you. I actually met you when you were in hygiene school and yes. I came to your school uh, for, and Guillaume was actually giving a lecture. And so I, I came for that. And um, so I got to meet you as a hygiene student and now I'm thrilled to call you a colleague. Um, but tell me a little bit about your journey. Oh yeah. Isn't Anne amazing by the way? Oh my gosh. Anne yeah. is the bomb. Wealth of information. Um, so my journey, I didn't start off as a hygienist. I'm 38 years old, so I'm a little bit older to start in the career field. I was a music major in my undergraduate, but I decided it wasn't for me and got distracted by, you know, meeting this soldier guy and getting married, <laughs> having kids, moving all over the place. And when the kids were a little older and we kind of sensed some stability. I decided to go back to school and I chose dental hygiene because it fit really well into my life and it fit really well into things of, of my personality. Like I like to tinker. I like to start jobs and finish them. And I really like to help people, which is dental hygiene meets all those things. Absolutely. It does. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so you've been out of, out in the world for not quite a year yet. Exactly. COVID kind of made all that harder. Yes, it was insane. And, you know, it was a really sad end to a very stressful program that, you know, all the celebrations and the highlights were all uh, went to a big crash. And I'm very thankful to my institution and all of the faculty members for getting us to the point of graduating and being able to join the world in private practice. Um, and wherever else anyone else might have gone. But yeah, it was it was crazy there at the end. But yeah, class of 2020. <laughs> I think you guys at some point should have a belated board bash. You guys I should get together for like, and I, we don't call it a board bash then. We just can call it, you know, I don't know, career <laughs> entry or whatever you want. But you guys should have that culmination at some uh, point. I know, we really need to. Yeah. All right, well, let's launch into your top five. So what are the top five things that you don't learn in hygiene school that you get out and you're like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? First of all, I just want to preface everything by saying my institution was amazing. I felt so prepared for so many things and all of my faculty were competent, incredible, thorough people. So these top five, you know, they may have even told us and I forgot. <laughs> you're right about that. Oh my gosh. Aren't you like your brain is in overload and, right. and you're like, I, I can't, I can't retain it all. Or you remember it for a test and you put it down and then you pack it away because 
you're so worried about completing that, you know, patient that you need to graduate. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This is not a bash on educators <laughs> at all. Yes. There's so much darn stuff to learn in hygiene school. Exactly. So and I how think do you fit it all in? Exactly. That was what I was going to say. They did a great job narrowing it down to the relative application to my scope of practice. And as far as sitting in a dental chair with my patient, I feel confident that I'm giving them the best care that they can give. But on to the top five, um, private practice office structures for me is it has been tricky learning what especially staff that's not clinical does in the office for the office it, it's clear to me everyone has a very important job and without that kind of symbiotic relationship, the patient wouldn't be cared for in the way that they deserve to be. So learning what a treatment coordinator does and what a patient coordinator does and what the office manager does is, is really important to working well as a team. And I wish that I had had more of a grasp on those individual roles and how I can help them help me. That's a fascinating one. You know, when I went into hygiene school, I had dental assisted, so I'd worked in a dental office. So I, I had some of that experience. But yeah, if you're just coming in in blind and your only experience is being a patient, yeah, it's hard to understand what those roles are. And I imagine they're different from office to office, but just to at least have a concept of, you know, this is this is sort of my place and, you know, this is this is the things I'm in charge of and all that kind of stuff. And maybe that even comes from an office that has excellent onboarding, which I have to say the majority of dental offices do not have excellent onboarding. They mm -hmm. are like, here's your scalers, run, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I've been very fortunate in the offices I've worked with so far that I've been able to have a shadow day. And, you know, that's been fantastic because working with a hygienist, if there are more than one in the practice or working with the doctor for a day to get a feel for the office has, has been great and beneficial because they may use different software. They may have a different flow. The, you know what? They're guaranteed to have a different flow. So learning the office is a big deal. And yes, all the offices are different, but I think some things are pretty standard um, from practice to practice that would have been nice to know going in. Yeah, that's a great one. So what's mm -hmm. number two? Number two, what to expect in regards to how much independence I would have as a hygienist in private practice. So much of hygiene is um, in school is oversought by your instructors and the doctor on the floor. Hygiene so, check, hygiene check. I need a hygiene check. <laughs> exactly. Go sign the central sign up and get a doctor, doctor or the hygienist to check what you just did. Ask permission for each step. Make sure that you've done the step right before you proceed. In private practice, I mean, you're on your own. And the degree to which you're on your own is pretty vast. Um, you know, you might need to give local anesthesia to your patient. And in school, you're like, hey, can I give local anesthesia to my patient? In private practice, doctors don't have a lot of time for can I, should I, is this cool? You need to have independent, um, proactive, confident care for your patient and not just not even knowing where to implement all that. Like, I think this patient needs an SRP. Should I just tell them that and bring them back. I mean, they came, they're an established patient. I know it's been a couple of years, but I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, it just all felt very up in the air, you know, just finding that independence and confidence to treatment plan and hand treatment to the patient without a handhold is a hard transition to make. I, you know, and I'm with you. And I think, um, I think that 
as we look to elevate the career of dental hygiene, you know, who we are and what we can do beyond teeth cleaning, that truly all of us as a profession need to embrace this independence and really, you know, sort of own our hygiene operatory. And and I do, I do think, yeah, when you're in that school situation and you're constantly, you know, looking for that affirmation and that check and that check, that it's hard to then be able to be like, all right, I know what I'm doing. Right. Um, because I've been a hygienist for 25 years. I don't always know what I'm doing. Like, but you know, you do your best and you make, you know, critical evidence-based decisions as you can. And, but yeah, that's a little scary. It's huge. I, I never forget like my first couple of months in my office, which was a fast paced, top notch practice where I, I sat down with a patient. I was like, I'm, I know they need an SRP, but you know, what? I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> I'm just going to try and get this done. I'm going to do a bloody profit. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be great. And of course, I didn't finish when I should. And I'm sure the doctor came into the exam was like, what is going on in here? But it was a hard lesson. And it's still one that I'm still kind of becoming comfortable with. Just a couple of weeks ago, I said to my husband, I think I'm not nervous to go to work for the first time since I started working because I feel a lot more confident in telling a patient, hey, these probing depths tell me that you need a deep cleaning. And so we need to bring you back, even if it's just a one to three deep cleaning, as opposed to a four quad or a one quad to bring them back for a few teeth that have some bleeding and recurrent bleeding. I can say, I think you need a one to three SRP. I think it's going to be beneficial. Let's bring you back. And then my doctor goes, I totally agree with her. Let's bring you back. And then I'm like, Awesome. You know, oh my God, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. So learning that flow is tricky. And I know even from doctor to doctor, that can be a little bit different as as far as how much the doctor wants ownership of that. But from what I've experienced thus far, they want you to really co-diagnose these things. And so they're hearing the diagnosis more than one time and therefore their patient is more likely to accept treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what's number three? Speaking of accepting treatment, I want to jump to insurance. Um, that is such a big part of treatment acceptance. And I knew nothing about it going in. So, you know, understanding the way insurance works is so vital to how you break down treatment for a patient, what phases you do, how you treatment plan. Like, you know, we were discussing the whole idea that you can't do a maintenance and an SRP in the same visit or a profi SRP in the same visit that insurance will deny. You can't um, do an exam and a debridement in the same visit. Like things, how exactly. on earth do you know those things? Exactly. And that's, that's a challenge and something when you're learning on the job, you can make a big mistake and a patient would end up having to pay out of pocket for a treatment or your office has to write it off. And that's never great for anybody. So knowing those things going in is always It's a nice, even just to know the top five insurance companies and kind of what they expect in a general term, I think would have been beneficial to making the transition smoother. Well, because I think patients, you know, you're in that first office and you're sitting down and the patient's like, well, does my insurance cover that? You know, and of course, my standard answer is often like, you know what, I, I don't know your policy in particular, but most policies do tend to do this or whatever. But to be able to say intelligently, you know, many policies cover this or whatever, as opposed to taking off your glove. Oh my gosh. All the PPE now, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Face shield, you know, all that stuff Mm -hmm. going up to the front desk. Does Mrs. Jones do, what do they cover? You know, it's such a, so at least having a concept of, you know, what they could, what some do cover and what some don't cover. 
Exactly. And, and asking a treatment coordinator or a patient coordinator in the middle of your exam is going to add so much time, valuable time that you don't really have yeah. in a 60 minute appointment. If you're lucky, a 60 minute appointment, um, which we should all be expecting at this point, I think, um, 60 yeah. minute appointment. I mean, everything that you have to do, especially if your office does iTero and all this other stuff, that valuable time of asking them to look through their EOBs is going to take too much time. So yeah, having just some basic knowledge, is this plan cover fluoride? Do they have ortho coverage? Things like that. Yeah, that's great. Well, what's number four then? Coding. So coding is not a problem for me actually, but I know that it's such a problem for so many other graduates. Um, our program did cover some basic coding. So I want to say they didn't do anything, but like we knew the codes for SRPs, one to three or a four quad or profi or child profi. We knew some of those basic ones, but the more complex ones, definitely no restorative codes. Um, I know it can be a challenge for a lot of new graduates to learn that because when you're in the, in the operatory treatment planning for your doctor or for your next visit, it slows you down when you're having to search through the ADA codes. Now, the offices that I've worked at so far have had kind of a built-in system with exploding codes where it's really easy to find what I need um, or search up what I need. So it's, it's nice, but I know a lot of people struggle with coding. I still struggle with coding. So um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely need a crash course. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've joined the beyond oral health, dental codology people just to try to learn a little bit more. So yeah, that would have been nice to have a foundation in coding. I don't even think I learned a single code in hygiene yeah. school. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they've definitely added a little bit, which was nice. And of course the end of our program got cut off. So who knows if we would have learned more, but, um, yeah, it would be good to know a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, what's number five? Instrumentation. Surprisingly, you know, we had such great first and second year kits with, you know, Langers and after fives and the full slew of Gracie's and scale, uh, sickles and all the things. But we were with magnetorestrictive Cavitron for our whole school experience. And to kind of piggyback a little bit more on that, we started Cavitron the semester we started to see patients. So we never strictly hand scaled patients which transitioning in a time of COVID straight out of school into private practice where people weren't using NSK or Cavitron was almost impossible because that predicted that <laughs> nobody could have predicted it. Not a single person. And I do, I mean, standard of care is to do both and I believe still that's the case. And now that we're starting to re-implement, it's nice. But my, that skill was not developed enough to be fast enough to do an hour profi and certainly not an SRP turned profi, <laughs> all hand scaling. But also, furthermore, I would have liked to have had hands-on experience with PAZO. All the offices I've worked in have had PAZO and not Cavitron. And I tend to feel like dentists like the NSK because it's a more versatile or the PA's NSK is because it's a more versatile instrument for them. So they can use it to do endo and restorative and I can use it to do profi and, and preventative. So I get the decision. Um, I, and I still prefer Cavitron because it's the whole tip is activated, but 
learning to work with NSK or Piezo, I should say Piezo, not the brand, but working with Piezo side of the tip takes a little bit more skill, a lot more rocking and rolling and a lot more just thoughtful adaptation of the working edge of the instrument. So it would have been nice to have a little hands-on with that before I went out to the real world. You know, I would think in general, I mean, if we even, you know, number five being instrumentation, but number five just being the technology, um, you know, there's so much out there that when you enter into an office that, that they almost expect you to know how to do it. You know, they expect you to know, like, I just started using the ISOVAC, the intraoral suction, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and it was a learning curve. You know, it took me a day to figure out how to place that adapter and, and, you know, and how to make that work for a patient or guided biofilm therapy or all of these things, all of this technology that's coming out. And so, um, I mean, gosh, it seems like it would behoove dental manufacturers to just donate all that stuff, like donate at least one, just one to each school so that each student had a hands-on opportunity to place an ISOVAC. Each student had a hands-on opportunity to do some guided biofilm therapy or, you know, whatever the technology is. I mean, we could go on and on and on forever. And schools certainly, you know, can't afford to buy you a piezo and a cavatron, you know, but, but to have at least, you know, an opportunity to understand the workings of it and actually feel it. Cause you can learn it in theory, but then until you have it in your hands, you know, that's a big difference, I think. Absolutely. Well, and that kind of, to piggyback on that, uh, there's a lot of products we had to learn, you know, and when I started in private practice, just what's the difference between CT4 and ClinPro you know, things of that nature. That's huge. You're totally, that makes a great point. Yeah. To understand the difference in, you know, oh my gosh, what's that mouthwash that you have or, or what's, you know, certainly even what kind of products are you selling in your office? You know, I know that I talked a little bit on this podcast about like the Smiler Saver aligner cases, you know, is your office doing Invisalign? And with that, are you, you know, including those, that aligner case, this is a Smiler Saver that you can, you know, put on the back of your iPhone so you don't lose your aligners and all these things that, oh my gosh, there's just so much to learn. I think hygiene school probably could last 10 years and we probably still wouldn't learn it all. Oh my God, no kidding. Well, and you know, we should get a CT scanner for the radiology. We should get an iTero so that people know how to scan when they come out of school because so many offices are using iTero technology now. It's, it could go, we could, they could just make it last 10 years and then we could be doctors. Right. <laughs> there we go. That's the plan. You and I have solved it. Let's let's review the top five. So the top five things you don't learn in hygiene school or that hygiene school just isn't darn long enough to learn it all. (laughs) Um, Number one is the private practice structure. I really liked that. That interesting, you know, not understanding sort of all the different roles and sort of what people do. Number two is just what to expect as far as autonomy within your practice. And oh my gosh, I I get to make decisions. That's scary. I'm a dental hygienist now. Ah, How'd that happen? (laughs) Uh, number three, insurance, without a doubt. Number four, coding. I still don't know it. Uh, and number five, instrumentation, or we can take it at all the way up to technology and understanding all the different things that are out there. Well, Beth, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about your experiences. It's been really fun. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. It was a blast. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? I am on Instagram at Beth Shaw RDH. I put little fun things, pictures, memes, tips, tricks, and sometimes I'll even like, I don't know, this morning I did a video of my son using water pick with Listerine and hydrogen peroxide, and he made the cutest, disgusted face because oh, I the Listerine was strong. Yeah, it was cute. But oh. yeah, we have fun on there. I'm checking that out for sure. 
Well, thank you so much. Well, we all know that only four out of five dentists could agree. So if you have something to add to this top five, or you have an idea for a whole nother top five, email me at amandahillrdh at gmail.com, and we'll be sure to include your dental top five. Make it a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of your dental top five. Be sure to join us next Thursday to hear more from Amanda. 